Hi there, and welcome to Manningham Christian Centre's Sermon of the Week. I'm so glad you joined us. My name is Matt Wyatt, and I'm the lead pastor here. My prayer for you is that as you listen, you encounter God, and find this message practically helpful. It would mean a lot to us if you were able to rate and subscribe. This not only lets us know how we can serve you better, but also spreads the message to those who need to hear it. Hey, thanks so much again, and I look forward to catching up with you later. Bye. Thank you, Kelly. Good morning, everybody. Please be seated. Well, that was quite a welcome. It's just like coming home when I come here. And plus, I work here two days a week, so it's like coming to work too, but (laughs) let's not talk about work today. I'm very excited to be here with you this morning. So, this last, what are we, the 10th month of the year, the last 10 months of this year, we have been focusing in on one thing here at Manningham Christian Centre, and that is our discipleship journey. That is following Jesus and learning how we can follow Jesus more closely. That's really what a discipleship journey means. It means he's the teacher and I'm going to follow him. And if you follow Jesus, it pays attention to pay attention to the things Jesus says and the things Jesus teaches us. Would you agree? Good. So today we are going to dive into a story about what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's called Hidden Pearls and Treasures. That's what we're going to be talking about today. But before we jump into this story, I'm going to segue and tell you a different story. Now, to tell you this story, I need to take you back to the year 1996. Now, some of you weren't even born in 1996. Some of you were in the prime of your life in 1996. I'm going to tell you a little bit about that year. The movies Twister and Jerry Maguire were grossing at the box office. Bill Clinton was the US president and Michael Jordan was the number one NBA player. The Hubble telescope revealed Pluto's surface for the very first time. And boys to men, Celine Dion and Mariah Carey We're all the rage. That's who we listen to, people. It was also the year we got the Macarena. Come on, everybody with me. Let's do it. You all know it. Come on. It's all good. We can hide our shame later. No, we won't do that. All right. Closer to home, John Howard became the Australian Prime Minister. We changed over governments. North Melbourne won the AFL Grand Final. Friends aired for the first time on Australian TV. And... Here's one I know you're going to love. Petrol was around 65 cents a litre. Who wants to go back to those days? Right. Now me, I was a 14-year-old teenager at St Monica's College. There I am as um, I got to show some of our young people in this church some photos of me a few weeks ago and they particularly loved my very overplucked brows back in the day. Not anymore, thank you, Jesus. It was also the year I met my now husband, Tim Lord. 1996 was a very big year for me. I was 14, as I said. 
Let's be real for a second. Being 14 is hard. It sucks sometimes. You are discovering who you are and how you're going to now relate to everybody else. It's this in-between year of I'm really not a kid anymore, but I'm not a big person anymore. And you're trying to make decisions that are supposed to guide the rest of your life. Like what am I going to study in school and what do I want to do? But I have no idea what I want to do. It's a big year. Now, I had a great family, a supportive family. I had great friends. I, you know, had a lot going for me. I loved school. I did so well at school. But if I'm really honest, that whole journey of being like 13, 14 especially, I struggled so much with my self-worth over those years. I struggled so much with fitting in. I never felt like I fit in, even though, even though I had friends and even though I loved my friends and they loved me and we had a great time. I just never felt like I fit in. And that year of being 14 is hard, right? But in that year, something significant happened for me. It was Sunday, May 12 of 1996. It was Mother's Day. And I was sitting in a church service, much like the one you're sitting in right now. It was maybe the third or fourth of its kind that I'd ever been in before. And that was the very first time I ever went to an evening service. The church I went to had a morning and a night church. We went to the night church. And that night, the pastor was showing a video all about the love of God. Now, I don't remember who that lady was that was speaking, but I remember what she said because it changed my life forever. She talked about how much God loved us and He loved us so much that He sent Jesus, His Son, to die on a cross for us. Now, I had grown up my whole life a Catholic. You saw me, St Monica's College. I'd grown up my whole life a Catholic. I knew Jesus died on a cross because there were big statues of Him everywhere at the school. But I never knew Jesus did that for me. I never knew it was personal and that God wanted to know me, that he loved me. And so that night, watching that video, something unlocked in my heart. And I just knew that if God did all that for me, then I wanted to give the rest of my life to him. I wanted to know him. That love I was feeling in that moment, I wanted to feel that for the rest of my life. So there in a little back room, in Nurong Avenue in Bandura, I gave my life to Jesus. So Jesus was the missing piece I had been looking for that I didn't know that I needed. In that moment, everything came together. I found that self-worth. I found that acceptance. I found that love. Everything that I needed came together in that moment. And I didn't have much to give Jesus in exchange for this amazing, undeserving gift, right? I was 14, living at home. What did I have? A few posters on my wall and a few tapes. Yes, we had tapes back then. That's all I had. But I gave him everything I have in that moment. And still to this day, I do my very best to give him everything that I have. And life's not easy. Sometimes I've had questions Sometimes my faith's been a little weak and it's wavered a little. But in those moments, I come back to one thing, and that's the truth. The truth is Jesus loves me. The truth is Jesus sent his son to die for me. And the truth is when I say yes to him, he meets me every single time. And so if that gift he is willing to extend to me, 
then I'm willing to extend my life as a gift back to him. Now, each one of you here in this room will have your own story, your own version of what Jesus has done for you and how your life changed forever. And maybe for some of you listening today, you're at the beginning of that story. God is about to change your life and that's going to start a new chapter in your life. But what I want to highlight today is that Jesus, when He comes in and when He meets us, nothing is ever the same. Now, I told you I was going to tell you a story that Jesus told. This obviously isn't the story Jesus told, even though He's the main character in my story. But many years ago, Jesus told a story a little bit like mine. And now Jesus, when He spoke to people, spoke in stories that we call parables. Pretty much a parable just means I'm telling you something, using some metaphors to explain to you something that you hopefully will understand. Now, when Jesus told these stories, he used um, examples that were relevant to the people in that day so that they would understand. So he told lots of farming stories and things like that because they were people who worked the land and things like that. Like he'd tell very different stories today, probably about ones with people walking around looking at their phones, right? He'd tell a very different set of stories today. But back then he used those kinds of analogies. And the reason why he told stories with a bit of mystery, was because he was trying to uncover truth for people. See, for years, people had put tradition and rituals all on top of what God was, and they weren't experiencing God for who He really is. And so Jesus came to get rid of all the tradition, get rid of all the ritual and say, this is who God is. And hey, by the way, He's here with you right now. And if you look at me, you're gonna see what God looks like. That's what Jesus came to do. Now, Jesus came to reveal what the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, the interchangeable phrases we can use today, came to reveal what the kingdom of heaven is like. Now, I'm going to tell you quickly what he's talking about when he refers to the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Jesus is very simply talking about this. He's talking about the activity of the king. You see, God is ruler over all the universe because he made it but he's also ruler of a spiritual realm that we can't see, okay? And God operates within that kingdom with certain rules that govern him, his nature, right? Who God is, is the way that he operates inside of his kingdom. And it's also about how God rules and reigns sovereignly over those who choose to submit to him. See, this kingdom of God, you don't just get a pass to come in. You have to choose to come into the kingdom of God. God extends the invitation to everybody, right? But we have to choose to submit to Him to become part of this kingdom. You see, Jesus is the kingdom of God come to us. We have to choose to be a friend of God. So that's your little bit of background on the story we're about to jump into. When we talk about the kingdom of heaven today, we're talking about the activity of the king and what he's like towards those who choose to submit to him. Does that make sense? Yep. Good. All right. Now we're going to jump into the story. Finally, the long-awaited story you've been waiting for me to get to. All right. So we're going to head to the book of Matthew chapter 13. If you have a Bible, you can open. If not, there will be one I prepared for you earlier. In Matthew 13, Jesus has spent a long time talking to large crowds of people as he often did. And he was telling them story 
after story explaining what the kingdom of heaven is like. He said the kingdom of heaven was like um, weeds. He said the kingdom of heaven was like seeds. He said it was like all these different farming things. I'm not a great green thumb, but I've managed to bring a peace lily back to life. Can I get an amen for that? You got to see my peace lily. It is thriving. But the story we're going to get to is when Jesus starts to talk about treasure. And it's verse 44. Jesus says this, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding that one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and he bought it. Now, Jesus had a habit of explaining the parables after he told them because most people didn't understand what he was really trying to say. However, these two, he doesn't explain. And I kind of thought about that for a minute and I thought, well, they are pretty straightforward. Maybe he went, nah, they don't need an explanation. Or maybe Jesus left it as it was because when you have a meeting with Jesus like I did that day in 1996, then this story becomes your story. This is what happens when you meet Jesus. Back in the days when Jesus was speaking to the people that he told this story to, the idea of burying treasure in a field was not uncommon. Like we wouldn't do that today, right? We've got banks, we've got vaults, we've got safes, we've got much safer places to put our treasures and our worth than to bury it inside a field. But back then they didn't have that. And the level of poverty that existed with the political climate meant that if you had things of value and they weren't well hidden, they would probably get stolen. So here we have someone who has clearly buried treasure in a field and either they forgot about it or they died and forgot to tell someone that they had buried treasure in their field before they died and now there's a field with treasure. And so we have this man, we don't know why he's there. Maybe he's a thief. Maybe he wants to buy the land and so he's doing his due diligence and checking it out before he buys it. Maybe he's just passing through and it's his lucky day. But this man stumbles upon this treasure. And the Bible says that he found it, covered it up because he don't want anybody else getting it before he can get it. And then he, in his Joy goes out and sells all he has to buy that field. Immediately after he says that, Jesus then says that the kingdom of heaven's also like a pearl merchant. So this is a seller and trader of pearls, someone who it is their profession to specifically go out looking for the best, the most rarest, the most amazing pearls and buy and sell and trade for them, right? So this man has now found the most beautiful of all pearls and he is willing to sell everything else just for that one pearl. Now, why is Jesus telling us these stories? Because he's trying to get one thing across to us. There is nothing more valuable than the kingdom of God. Nothing. No bit of treasure, no bit of field, no bit of land, nothing, no pearl, doesn't matter how incredible it is. Nothing is worth more than the kingdom of God. Nothing is worth more than choosing to be part of a kingdom where the king just loves you so much and he just wants to be with you all the time. And I mean, imagine that. Access to a king, not just someone, a king of all the universe who wants to be with you all the time. 
And Jesus tells us these stories because, as I said, there was so much tradition and ritual that had been passed down that people didn't know or see the value in God or who he was anymore. And it's a bit like today. People think they know what God's like. They think they know what church is like. But you don't know until you know. You don't know until you actually meet Jesus face to face and have an encounter with him where his love comes and touches you and everything changes. That's when you know that there is nothing more valuable than the kingdom of God. And so some of you today might sit there going, well, that's a bit rich, Rose. That's a bit of a big ask, like you're saying, I've got to give up everything to submit to a king, right? So I thought it might help if we play a little game. Who likes games? I know you guys like when I come here because I always do fun stuff. All right, we're going to play a game. The game is called, What Would Cause Me To Sell All I Have To Possess It? It's a really long name of a game. Sorry, I couldn't think of a one-liner one or something. What would cause me to sell all I have to possess it? Okay. Now, would this Mercedes-Benz, very fancy schmancy car, which sold for 142.5 million US dollars at auction. Would that be enough for you to go, yeah, I could rationalise selling all I have to gain that? Maybe. Or if you want something a little more affordable but still good, maybe the Rolls-Royce Boat Tail, which is a new car. So it's not at auction, it's not a used car, new car, valued at 28 million USD. By the way, I looked into these. They're pretty cool. Like the boot opens and like this umbrella comes out and a full picnic table rolls out and there's a fridge in there. It's like a boat at the back of your car. It's pretty cool. But could could you rationalise someone selling all they had for a fancy car? Maybe houses are your thing. Maybe houses are your thing, right? Could you rationalise someone selling all they have to possess the most expensive house in the world, which is Buckingham Palace, valued at $6.7 billion. Now, that is a bit heavy on the pocket. Perhaps closer to home, you would prefer Stonington Mansion, which is actually in Malvern, Victoria, and that'll only set you back $52 million, okay? Perhaps that might be what we'd sell to possess. Or maybe you do like diamonds, because they are ladies, a girl's best. Thank you very much as well as shoes. I couldn't find a really, really expensive pair of shoes. I do love shoes, but we're gonna go with diamonds. Okay, this is a priceless diamond. It's called the Kohinoor and it's an Indian diamond which was placed in the centre of the late Queen's crown. It is a whopping 100 and, I wanna get this right, 105.6 carats. That's a lot of carats. That's a lot of bunnies as well, a lot of carats. But maybe it's that. Man, it's priceless, so you'd probably have to give up a lot to gain that, wouldn't you think? Or maybe, because we want to be budget friendly, it's the latest iPhone. The biggest one with like the 500 gig and all the bells and whistles and fancy stuff, I had to look into it to know how much gig it has, will set you back to $1,099. So maybe you'd go, okay, I've got all this stuff in my room that I don't need anymore. I'm going to have a massive garage sale and I'm probably going to go in my brother and sister's room and sell everything they don't need either. And hopefully I'll then have enough to swap it for the iPhone. Or seeming as though we're talking about pearls, maybe the Pearl of Puerto, which is valued at 100 million US dollars. And let me tell you why, because it's a 34 kilo pearl 
and it's 2.2 foot. So like a small child. We're talking about the size of a small child is this pearl, right? In pearl, exactly right, in pearl. Maybe it's that. Now, obviously, not too many people are going to have the bank account, which allows them to lavishly purchase things like this. But here, sitting here today, we can rationalise and understand why if someone can afford it, they would afford it. Because, hey, I get cars are important. I get having nice things is fun. I get all of that. Because why? We see value and worth in those things. Where we see value and worth, that is where we are willing to spend and invest. And if you see your value and worth in the kingdom, if you see it in the kingdom of heaven, if you understand what Jesus is saying, that there is nothing more valuable than the kingdom of heaven, then it is not too much to joyously sell and give up all that you have to be part of the kingdom of heaven. In Mark 10, Jesus encounters a young man who asks him a question. Now, this man says to him, Oh, good teacher, what do I have to do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? And uh, we know three things about this man. He was young, rich, and he was a ruler. Where are all the single ladies at? He sounds pretty good, doesn't he, right? He's young, he's rich, and he's a ruler. And Jesus says to him this, Oh, you know the commandments, do not steal, do not murder, don't lie, be good to your parents, um, all of them. And he's like, I do all that. He thought he was good. And Jesus, and he says to him, I've done all this since I was little, Jesus. And then... Mark writes this, Jesus looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Mark writes, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Now we can read that and kind of understand the rich young ruler's perspective. He had a lot to give up. Jesus was asking a big thing from him. But what we see in this interaction is that the young man's true treasure was revealed. You see, he may have really wanted eternal life, but he didn't value it more than the stuff. He didn't value it more than the power and the influence. He didn't value it more than giving up what he had to go and follow Jesus. But one thing I love about this story is that Mark chose to include and write these words. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. You see, Jesus doesn't challenge us to punish us. He doesn't make a big request of us because he thinks, well, I'm better than you anyway. No, Jesus asks big things of us because of his love for us, because he so jealously loves us, because he gave everything for us. That's why he asks big things of us, because he wants us so much. And he wants us all to himself. He doesn't want to share our affection with anybody else. And also, I think Jesus would have had a level of respect for him, because Jesus himself says, hey, before you follow me, do count the cost. I'm asking for a big thing. I'm asking for you to give up the life you were living and come and follow me. He didn't say, hey, just come and check in and update your Facebook status with me. He said, come and follow me. So Jesus would have probably respected that he went, I actually can't do this. 
Now, why would Jesus ask such a big thing of this man? And why does Jesus ask such a big thing of us today? Why does he still say, come follow me? Because Jesus would never ask something of us that he first didn't do. We know that the Bible says, in Jesus was the fullness of God and he came down to be a man. You know, recently this week I was listening to Louis Giglio and he said, we don't think enough about the fact that Jesus lived in the realm where he ruled and reigned. He lived in heaven where there were angels and glory and all those things. He lived outside of time and space and he chose willingly to come and live here with the confines of a human body and live with people who didn't like him and ultimately rejected him to the point of a horrendous death. He chose all of that because his love for us is so incredible. You see, Jesus counted the cost and we were it. We were the cost he was willing to pay. It wasn't too much for him. And now the people who heard this story back in the day when they heard Jesus talking about pearls and treasures and things like that, they didn't understand the full story. Why? Because they weren't post-resurrection people yet. See, we're living thousands of years later on the other side where we have a Bible that tells us all the things Jesus did and all the things He was. So we get to see how He's revealing Himself. Then we get to see Him actually do it. And then we get to see the impact of that for generations later. And we live in it today. We get to see all of that, right? But they didn't get to see that. And so I kind of go, this story is actually twofold. This story demonstrates to us, yes, how valuable and incredible the kingdom of God is. But it also demonstrates to us this, that Jesus is our treasure just as much as we are his. We for him were the pearl that no price was too great to pay. We for him were the treasure that was in the field that he said, I want them. I want to come and give my life for them. And so the purpose of these two parables today, as we said, is to demonstrate the worth of the kingdom of heaven, the worth of knowing Jesus, the worth of following after Jesus as more valuable than anything else. Now, it can look like a lot to sell everything, right, to gain one thing. Is it a really fair exchange if I come with like, oh, my husband's just recently cleaned out our garage. Oh my God, he kept so much stuff we really don't need. I have truckloads of basketball cards from like the 80s and 90s and footy cards and cricket cards. Did you know that was a thing as well? Cricket cards. But imagine taking Tim's massive pile of, let's call them memories, and going, I'm going to swap that for one card. Does that sound like a fair exchange? All of that for just one card. It can look like a lot to give up a lot for one thing. But see, when that one thing is everything, it's not really tipping the scales right. That one thing that we're giving up, that we're gaining is everything. The one thing we're gaining in exchange for what? Let's be real our mess, in exchange for our brokenness, in exchange for our shame, in exchange for our lack of direction, in exchange for all the stuff that we don't even like about ourselves, but Jesus loves us anyway. 
right, in exchange for all of that, he gives us friendship with him. He gives us eternal life with him. He gives us the love we need and he loves us into wholeness. That is everything. And so the parable is about value. What do we value and what are we willing to sell out for? Is it cars? Is it clothes? Is it houses? Is it our job? Is it our family? Is it our reputation? Are we too concerned with what people might think of us that we won't sell out for the kingdom of God? Okay, Jesus is revealing to us that the kingdom of God is everything. And without it, we really have nothing. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 6, 21. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where we place value, that's where our heart's going to be. So what does this mean for us today, right? I don't want this to sit heavy like, oh my gosh, she's just said, I have to give up everything and follow Jesus. No, you get to give up everything and follow Jesus because the guy joyously went and sold all that he had to get the field and the treasure. Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, gave up all that he had on a cross. It's for the joy of knowing Jesus. It's for the joy of eternal life. It is for the joy of being able to share it with those who don't have it. So today, it means for us these two things. We need to realise and respond. We need to realise we are God's greatest treasure. He gave the highest price to pay for me and you. And that was Jesus. Jesus willingly came as a sacrifice to pay the debt we could not pay. And in doing so, as I said, because it was the joy set before Him, right? You and I, He's purchased us forever. But it's only in reciprocation, it's only in response that we get to enjoy what we realise, okay? So if you are sitting here today going, wow, I don't know that I've heard it like that before and I didn't know Jesus did all that for me before, right? Then how do I get this kingdom? How do I be part of it? Then you respond with reciprocating. Jesus, you gave your all for me and like I did in that little hall one day, you have your moment where you go, Jesus, now I'm gonna give my all to you. I thank you for dying on a cross for me and now I open my heart and my life to you and I give it to you. I give up everything for the one thing, but that one thing is everything. We also realise that there is nothing worth more than the kingdom of heaven than Jesus. And we respond by taking a good look at our life and we go, Jesus, what in my life needs to change? What do I need to adjust? Where do I need to change my value system so that it looks like I value where I want my heart to lie? Because there are sometimes things that we do need to change, like the rich young ruler needed to sell all his possessions, give to the poor and follow Jesus. So Jesus isn't gonna give all of us the same answer, but it pays to spend a little time with him asking, Lord, what do I need to do to follow you more closely? And hear what he says to you and then do it because it pays to pay attention to the things Jesus tells us if we wanna be followers of Jesus. So today is a very special day for you. Do you know why? I'm gonna tell you why. Because you have stumbled upon treasure in a field today. And the question is this, will you go and sell all that you have 
to possess it? Will you count the cost? Will you pay the price? Will you believe in faith? Invite Jesus, if you haven't yet, invite him to be Lord of your life. And if you have, then remind yourself again why it is. Remind yourself of that first day when your eyes were opened. Remind yourself because when we remember our story of what Jesus did for us, it renews our love for him and our passion for him and it makes it easier to follow him. Will we be willing to let go of everything that keeps us from the kingdom? There is so much that fights for our attention and our affection every single day. Even good things, like we talked about it last time I was here. Family, friends, our jobs, our responsibilities. So much fights for our attention and our affection. But will we be willing to go, none of it is more valuable than Jesus. None of it means more than the kingdom of God for me. Will we realise Jesus is the finest pearl and the greatest treasure and give up all that we have? to truly follow him. That is our invitation today. That is the great joy that we're invited into today. So we realise and we respond. So we're going to give you a minute to respond now. You can stand if you want to stand. You can sit if you want to sit. But can I invite you for a moment just to bow your head. We're going to pray. Jesus, I thank You so much. I thank You so much that You love us. I thank You so much that the weight of Your love, God, comes and rests upon us even now. We sense it in this room, the weight of Your love coming and being in this room. God, I believe that even as I've been speaking today, God, I know that you have just been ever so gently moving through this space and sifting through our hearts and lives and going and and reminding us, God, yeah, why it is that we wanna follow you. But Lord, I even sense that gently, you've just been putting your finger on little things in our hearts and just going this. This is the thing that if that, this is the thing that you need to change. This is the thing you need to alter. Lord, I pray for the grace and the strength for us to be able to do that, to be able to choose Jesus when it's hard, more than the sake of our reputation, more than what anyone might think of us, more than the value of a job or anything else. We would put the kingdom first because the King put us first. And I thank You, Jesus, right now that You are just drawing us and sweeping us into a fresh love encounter with You a fresh love encounter with You, where Jesus, we are so overwhelmed yet again by how much You love us and so overwhelmed yet again by how valuable we are to You. That God, we stand just so vulnerable and open and exposed before You. And it's hard for our minds to to reconcile that. How can I be so loved? by a God who's so big. How can I be so loved by one who would choose to come and give His life for me? And Lord, You just speak a simple answer because You are, because You're mine, because I love You. Lord, let those words just penetrate so deep into our hearts, 
so deep into our spirit today that we would have such confidence in Your love for us. Lord, I just pray for a fresh joy, like the first day we met You, a fresh joy to fill our hearts, to bubble up over into all we do. I thank You, Jesus, that You truly are the greatest thing. And we choose today to make You our one thing. And in a minute, Kelly's gonna come and lead you in a prayer. If you haven't yet made Jesus your one thing, I invite you today, make Him your one thing. And if you made Him your one thing years ago, but you go, I need to do it again today. And He's waiting, He's listening, He's ready. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Anna. I trust that during the service, God was moving in your heart and His presence was where you are. Just before we say goodbye today, I'd love to give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. If today's message spoke to you, or you've been considering believing in Jesus as your Saviour, then I would love to invite you to do that now. Would you repeat this short prayer after me? Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you died for my sins and that you rose again to give me life. I ask you to forgive my sins and be my Lord and my Saviour. I open my heart to you today. Amen. If you said yes to Jesus today, we would love to hear from you. We would love to celebrate with you, pray with you and help you start your Jesus journey. Visit our website, manninghamcc.org and go to the I Said Yes page. Fill out your details and one of our leaders will get in touch with you. We would love to hear your story. Hey, thanks for joining in today and being part of our service. If you enjoyed today's service, would you click the share button and subscribe to MCC so you can stay connected. We all need some good news and we would love to hear how God has spoken to you today. Visit manninghamcc.org and fill out a good news story form today. If you would love to know more how to grow in your relationship with God, then Next Steps provides the path for you. Visit manninghamcc.org to find out more. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next time.